Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Goodyear with me as usual. We'll be chatting about the historic win for Portugal, the limp exit for Scotland, the lucky escape for England and looking ahead to some of the mouthwatering quarterfinals. Plus, we're chatting to former Wales winger Alex Cuthbert about their chances against Argentina. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Jim, how are you, mate? Are you okay? We're going to win by four points. <laughs> I genuinely am, and I'm slightly relieved. I can breathe now. You've relieved yourself? Yeah, I kind of have. I've relieved myself of any pressure and any embarrassment and why I say embarrassment I'm not embarrassed by the way that Scotland played at all I'm embarrassed that I keep putting my words out there and my neck on the block and one thing I will do is I won't apologize for supporting my team and supporting my mates I'll apologize to absolutely fucking no one I apologize to no one I will not do that so I can now breathe and enjoy the World Cup without looking over my shoulder or looking down at my thumb flicking through my phone and seeing everyone saying, oh, you're a joker, or like whatever it is, or, you know, people even in the stadium, they're shouting out, oh, you think you thought Scotland were going to win? No, no, no. I wanted Scotland to win, and I put pressure on myself to say it, but when Ireland play the way that they did, and we'll get into the weeds of it, because you asked me how I'm feeling, we were never going to win that game. From the first five minutes, watching how Ireland turned up, they were by far the better team. We threw the kitchen sink at them, we will get into it, but I'm absolutely fine. I'm not bothered. I'm, I'm bothered. bothered. I'm a bothered. I'm a bothered. I'm a bothered. No. Look how smug you are, Goody. Well, I don't want to say I told you so. Hang on, you can't sit there. You've robbed Samoa out of a guaranteed place <laughs> in the World Cup. This isn't in four yet years about time. England. No, it's not. Sorry, go on. No, no, he's smug because of Ireland. I mean, if you want me to compare England and Scotland, Scotland are way better than England. There's a bit of a pick me up for you, Jim. But I did say, didn't I? Twenty points, and I think Jim. Question for you. When I said 20 points last week, did you think I was just doing it to antagonise you? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's the right thought. I didn't think it was going to be 20 points. I thought we were better than that. I did. When you look at Ireland at the minute, and the big thing is now this weekend, the quarterfinal, that's the big question mark. And, you know, I know people were putting pressure on them to try and build Scotland up. And I respected Jim for his insanity. Loyalty. Loyalty and insanity, yeah. But Ireland were never going to lose that game in my opinion. And Scotland have, they've been stitched up by the draw, effectively. Let's say it how it is. Yeah, that draw was mission impossible for them. And, you know, they put up a as good a showing as they could in the games, but it just shows the difference at the minute between Ireland, South Africa and Scotland. And there's no shame in what Scotland have put out of the World Cup. They've just got beaten by two of the best teams in the world. And it goes back to the draw. We said it before, you look at the draw that was made three years ago, you look at two quarterfinals this weekend, and on form and on world rankings and the current state of the game, Scotland deserved to be in a quarterfinal had the draw have been fair. And that's the bottom line of it. But you're going home. They've gone home. I've been in their position twice, having been knocked out of a World Cup in 2011 after the pool stages and being knocked out in the quarterfinal. It's not nice. That sport, though at the end of the day. But I do feel as if now, 
Well, I was going to say I could turn into an expert, never an expert. I know Goody had Ireland by 20 points, but look, if we go back through the archives and all the score lines that we've predicted, I imagine there's probably, between us both, Goody, maybe 3% right. No, too harsh. <laughs> too harsh. Maybe half right. To be fair, I did get it wrong because it was 21 points, but there we go. Jim, they didn't really fire much of a shot, though, did they? They didn't fire a shot. A bit harsh. It was a machine gun, mate. They threw every <laughs> bullet they had at them. I think Scotland threw everything, the kitchen sink, the slippers, the sporans, the skin doos. The haggis. Other Scottish, the TV, we invented the TV as well. What else? The kettle, the cooker. Did you invent the TV? I think we did invent the TV, Andy Rowe. Are you just claiming that or did you actually? Can someone fact check that? I'll fact check that now. Let's fact check it. Who invented the TV? This could re-establish your credibility here, Jim. You know what? I am a lot smarter than people give me credit for. I have, you know. Below Fansworth. That doesn't sound very Scottish, does it? Angus Watson invented the TV. Doesn't get any more Scottish than that. What about the German researcher <laughs> Paul Nipkow in 1884? Okay, so they threw all their furniture, all their appliances at it. Before you carry on, Jim, I'm, I'm going to blame you, and then you can get into the details. All right. If you were 100% confident, and we talked about this on the pod last week, I said, if you believed, you'd wear your skirt, you'd wear your sporran, and you'd have your skin do. And I looked at you on the side of the pitch for the big gym show. You didn't have it on. You just went for the black jeans, standard, and the black bomber jacket, standard, and a T-shirt, standard. Where was the skin do? Well, I was that confident they were going to win that I was going to do a cleansman on the pitch when the final <laughs> whistle went. And as we know, in the evening, it's very hot, very sweaty, dehydration, and I didn't want to do a Paul Scholes and embarrass myself, so I left the black <laughs> jeans on, which I should say I'll be buried in. My black jeans, that's all I go. I've tried a few different colours, but it just doesn't work. No, I had Ali McCoist and Jimmy Nesbitt, who was absolutely bollocks, pitch side, saying that, oh, Ireland will win this by 30, 50 points. All right, fucking hell, Jimmy, absolute steam, ain't got a clue what you're talking about. Who knew? He was the oracle. He was nearly right. He was nearly right. What happened? What do you mean, what happened? It's, it was obvious. Anyone who watched the game, the best team in the world, and they rocked up physically... Mentally, they were ruthless. They were unplayable. Anyone who watched that game, you could have seen, you know, people saying, oh, we were rubbish. We didn't fire a shot. We didn't take the kicks at goal. Take the three. Take the three points. No. I mean, there's a couple of things. I think selection. We spoke about Hamish Watson in the league. Where was up. he? Where was our Hamish? Yeah, well, he, he weren't there, as we know. He weren't even in the 23. But man for man, player for player, Ireland were... Eight, nine, ten out of ten. So I'd say they were nine, ten out of ten, and we were eight. And that's a good number for us. They were just better. They were just a better team. They were physical. They turned up, emotionally wanted it, dealt with the occasion. And we can go through some of the standout performances. They did not miss a beat until the second half where they made a few changes. And we witnessed the best team in the world right now. And I would say... That was the best we've seen Ireland play in a long time. And that's saying something, considering how well they played against New Zealand in New Zealand, South Africa at the beginning of the tournament and in the Grand Slam, winning Six Nations last year. They were phenomenal to watch. And I've got, I, I'm not embarrassed at all. I think we gave it everything we had. Uh, they did. And I think the big thing was that James Lowe scores after two minutes, doesn't he? Which kind of set the scene a little bit. Just questioning the TMO, where was he? A friend of the show, Ty Byrne, who I've picked as potentially a player of the tournament. Just puts a little shoulder on a Scottish defender. I think Ringrose goes through the hole, doesn't he? Mm. And it doesn't change anything, but that should never have been a try. It should have been pulled back for that. But TMOs, 
they get involved with stuff they shouldn't get involved with and they don't get involved with other things that they should. But anyway. But we held on, didn't we? So after that try, you're thinking, yeah. oh God, here we go. Mm. And we actually held the fort and that's where we started throwing everything at it. Yeah. And then the big thing then was, and sometimes like you just think, I'll oh, try to change everything. Well, yes, they do. But the defensive set showed how good Ireland's defence was. Scotland were chucking the lot at them. Finns fizzing out passes. You know, Tupelotu I thought was outstanding. Like he is just trying to find Johnny Sexton and run at him as hard as he can. And he was making yards. And Scotland looked dangerous. They really did. But this isn't so much of a, a slight on Scotland. It's how good were Ireland. And they were bloody good. Like defensively, both sides of the ball, physical as you like. You know, obviously, Omani said some stuff after the game about the Scots talking themselves up. And there's obviously a bit there, isn't there? Yeah, they're talking about New Zealand doing that as well. I wonder whether the Irish team are getting fed stuff from the media to try... Like it's part of their yeah. motivation. That's good. Like Blake King Horde said, we're going to unlock Ireland. That, that's what we want. We want players to have the balls yeah. to say it. And if you don't back it up, you fall on your sword and we fell on our sword. And obviously that was clearly spoken about by Ireland because you know for him to... And congrats to Peter Omani as well. Or what do you call him, Jim? Well, I used to call him O'Mahony, but I can't do that now. He's fucking way too good. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> 100th cap as well. So, yeah, I mean, Scotland have not no shame in how they've performed. You know, they had some brilliant moments against South Africa, chucked the kitchen sink at them as well and got beasted in terms of physicality in the defence and then South Africa went and took the game away from them. Same with Ireland. They chucked everything at Ireland. So they're not sort of dying wondering about what could have been. The circumstances are a horrific draw three years ago has led them down this path now. It's more about how great Ireland were. And you can talk about Hamish Watson not being selected. They obviously had injury issues in the game. Why wasn't he selected? Well, just the balance of it, I suppose, isn't it? I mean, we both said on here that we think Hamish Watson should start now. Rory Dodge, we thought he should start. So the big one for me, Jamie Ritchie, who I don't think has performed anywhere near where he could perform, but because he's got the skipper's armband, he's always going to start. And he comes off injured as well, doesn't he? And then the balance on the bench, Fagerson was on the bench, came on and, and did bits. But yeah, I'm devastated for Hamish because a couple of years ago, he was the, one of the best sevens in the world, wasn't he? And I was surprised he wasn't in the match day 23. But I still even think with Hamish playing, it doesn't change a lot because Ireland were that good. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They were phenomenal, Ireland. So accurate, so detailed. Every time they've got the ball in attack, Every player understands their role and is in motion and is creating decisions for defenders to make. And they constantly, constantly make the right decision, ball in hand, at the line, under pressure, whether it's out the back, tuck it, tip it on. They just look a very well-oiled machine and they are superbly coached by two very good England coaches in uh, Andy Farrell and Mike Catt. And there's obviously a few Irish ones in there as well. The big test is this weekend for Ireland around the quarterfinal hoodoo and the All Blacks. But speaking to a lot of people in Ireland and speaking to some of the players and previous players and people that have been around the environment, if they could have picked a quarterfinal out of France and New Zealand, they'd rather have played New Zealand. Mm. So they're in a position where they wanted to be right now. I just hope they smash the All Blacks. Come on, Ireland! Producer Rob has put a question in. Uh, they've broken Scottish hearts, but can they break the quarterfinal curse? Yes. Well, that's what I mean. Like, this now, we went over a bit of old ground. Like, it's not about Scotland anymore. All eyes turn to Ireland now. And I said to the lads as they were going round, I'm an Ireland fan. And, and as soon as I said, I'm an Irish fan now, even Ty Furlong come, out, come over and shook me hand. So, They're like, ah, fuck off, Hamilton. <laughs> You're a fucking joker. Get away from the side of the pitch. What the fuck do you know? I don't know if he sounds German as well, but... Um, <laughs> See, Germans are coming. Maybe a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, this is... It. All eyes are on this now. So, 
We don't want to repeat ourselves and talk about how lopsided the quarterfinals are. The fact that you've got the top four in the, this side of the quarterfinals, it's irrelevant now. We're now going to see, and look, we can get onto the other side of the pool where the quarterfinals, as we know, they're not going to be anywhere near as good as what we're going to see. You're about, oh, you're about, England you, you're on fire. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they are walking to a semi-final, which breaks me, but it doesn't what, matter. You're English, mate. Are you, what, are you, are you supporting now? So you're quarter English, quarter Scottish. Ireland. Quarter Chinese. Quarter no, half Scottish. Half oh, okay, Scottish. sorry. Uh, but my sister was born in Ireland, so I'm going to support Ireland. I am fully supporting Ireland now. I just think the enormity, I said it last week, of Ireland winning a World Cup. Me and Matt Cantor were going back and forth. He said, oh, let's put a bet on it. I was like, well, what do you mean, put a bet? And he's like, we'll get a tattoo of the Ireland flag if we win. I said, all right, then. you got another one coming, haven't you? I'm going to get it under me Mauler's toe if we win. Do you want to, <laughs> should we do it, Goody? Do you want to get a tattoo? Well, your first tattoo could be No, Irish I've got flag. no tattoos, and I will not have a bet around a tattoo, even though if England can't win it, I'm desperate for Ireland to win it. How good's Dublin right now? Look, we should be doing live shows in Dublin, lads. Yeah. I love the place. And, bizarrely, people in Dublin like me for some reason really yeah he's sure I would go as far as saying they even they love him but he's he's yeah. played them right he's, he's played them right because he's <laughs> look he's t- talked them up for winning it oh Goody we love you here like Goody knows best what he's talking about best fans in the world about. the Irish yeah best fans in the world well, you know and that's one thing I didn't realise how good their fans were and I said this when I was pitch side talking about it. We, uh, Bernard Jackman we were talking about it and this I've played at the Aviva I've played at Lansdowne Road played at Croke Park it's a place I've always been, and I'd never come away and be like the fans and the noise was unbelievable. That would that mm-hmm. would be if you go to Wales or if you play in Paris. Yeah, never in Ireland have I thought that. And you know they're passionate. I have never again heard anything like it. Sixty thousand were there at the weekend. The streets, they're on top of buses. They're doing conversions in the street. Oh, good. Uh, it, it's madness. It is absolute carnage. I was chatting to Justin Marshall, interviewed him today, and I was like. That emotional driver, and everyone speaks about South Africa, how they're playing for something more than rugby. This is was the question to Justin Marshall about the All Blacks. Like, they've been so good, you've got the hacker, but is the emotional driver the same as it is for Ireland and the fans and what they bring to that stadium? I don't think it is. And it's like, is that a thing? Can the All Blacks overcome that? Do they need that? But having been in the stadium for that South Africa game, for the Scotland game... I have never in rugby felt or seen that kind of energy and influence on the team. looks amazing. It really does. And some of the stuff coming out of the Ireland camp where something that Johnny Sexton said, they're doing it for the fans and the fans are dragging them along as well. And obviously the big one is this week. I say the big one is this week. They've all been big games, but they get through this hoodoo of the quarterfinal. They've got the wood over the All Blacks um, in terms of what they've done over the last two or three years against them. You know, they've gone, gone down to New Zealand and won, beat them in Ireland. And New Zealand, looking pretty good at times. But you get past this quarterfinal, they've got Wales or Argentina. I think Argentina might do Wales in that quarterfinal. They've got the better choice of semi-final opponent, potentially. And then it's on like Donkey Kong. Come on, Ireland. England-Ireland in the final. No, you know, mate. Yes, that's what I want. England-Ireland in the final. Don't be silly. Then I'll stop supporting Ireland for one day. That's what I mean. We're talking about this now. Like South Africa, the world champions are playing France. I think South Africa beat them. They're 50-50 games. Like the, the France-South Africa is a 50-50 game. Either the world champions or the host nations are going out at yeah, the weekend. Crazy, isn't it? 
madness. It's madness. It's madness. I don't honestly, just for all the listeners, I don't honestly think England are getting to a World Cup final. I hope we do, but I don't think we are at the minute. They didn't look like finalists on the weekend, though, Goody. What Be do you honest. Mean? What are you on about? We're just, you know, we're getting better week on week. We, we, we dragged ourselves through the game, made some good decisions. No, again, it was uninspiring, underwhelming. But you look at it and some of those guys probably haven't played for two or three weeks. And these aren't excuses, these are facts. Mentally, were they fully at the races knowing they've already qualified as group winners? So we were either playing Fiji or Australia, so they kind of knew. So there was no jeopardy on the game in terms of result, but there should have been jeopardy on performance. And it was, you know, fair play to Samoa. Let's talk Samoa up because they've got progressively better throughout the, the tournament. We spoke about Tonga last week and how they've improved throughout the tournament by playing games at the top table. Hadn't played enough prior to that to build this cohesion. But Samoa were outstanding at times. Lima Sopoanga at 10. Best he's played in a long time. For all the negativity around how he's performed since he's come over to the Northern Hemisphere, you know, and I stuck up for him a bit on the pod a few years ago and he was at Wasps and he was obviously over in France now at Lyon. He was outstanding. And then you, some of the other players, Fritz Lee was just going around smashing boys. They were physical. Luatua, again, you know, the old dog. I look at Luatua and I'm like, he looks about 90. But he, he probably <laughs> he is. <looks> so <laughs> like he is going and going and going. But just on Samoa, and I kind of sat on this, I was like, do I say this? I think not just Samoa, but we've seen with Tonga and Fiji, if they can get their emotional levels right, they could play like that every week. You think about Samoa, they need to win that game to qualify for the next World Cup to finish third. And we joke about it and we've played with Samoans, Tongans and Fijians. Oh, they're out of contract. So therefore, they turn up and they're the best player on the pitch. That's <laughs> yeah. how Samoa played. Samoa played like desperate men. And if you look at the very highest level, when teams play like that, like Ireland did, like we've seen like the, the, the top four teams in the world do all the time, that's the kind of performance you get Samoa look desperate if they could do that all the time my word that's not a one-off performance is it they, they, they were I thought they were phenomenal and they look desperate and it's that emotional level that they need to try and connect with every time and also a bit of it around Samoa is because it's not a global season yet a lot of their players play over in the northern hemisphere so it's hard for them to get together and train together and play regularly is not yeah there, right? so it is difficult so they've obviously got better throughout the world cup by being there together and living in each other's pockets and all that stuff but they should have won that game by 10 or 15 points. They deserve to win. I think, yeah. In the first half, Nigel R. Wong's try that got disallowed. It was given, the conversion was taken. I thought TMOs were there to change things if it was clear and obvious. I didn't think it was clear and obvious, the knock-on. Yeah, it's starting to annoy me now. I, di I didn't want to say anything about it. No, be negative, but be negative. Yeah, it's starting to annoy me now. It's, it's not about the TMOs. And it's now, they're up on screen, the hair's all done, looking a million dollars. Referees are like, tell me when I'm back on screen. Yep, you're back on screen. Just, just leave it Ready. out. Just leave it yeah. out now. Like I think that we've seen too much of them, the, the recent weeks. I thought they were very unlucky tomorrow. Probably need to talk about England. Steve Borthwick's talking about Owen Farrell and his leadership and all this stuff. The Ford Farrell axis doesn't work. Steve didn't want to make a big decision, I don't think, by leaving out either Ford or Farrell. So Farrell gets in the team at the minute because he's his captain and he's this inspirational guy. Faz's supposed biggest strength is one of England's biggest weaknesses because whenever he plays 12, he casts a massive shadow over whoever's at 10. He's not playing in his best position. He's not played well at 12 in any game that I've seen for a long time. He's played well at 10 at times at Saracens, but his performances in England shirt, whether it's been at 10 or 12, haven't been good enough to automatically get in the team just because you're skipper. 
Now, Ford got man of the match in the first two games. I think his dad picked man of the match for the second game against Japan because, he, for me, he wasn't man of the match in that game. That was Ben Earl. But first game, he was outstanding. But look how Ford plays when he hasn't got the shadow of Farrell over him. So is it a massive strength of Farrell being that character and a massive weakness to England because it's like you can't question his own playing ability? Mm. Borthwick's got to really make a choice, Ford or Farrell. And whoever isn't starting at 10 doesn't get in the 23 for me. Because you then look at the balance of the bench, Marcus Smith, the impacts that he's had, whether you bring him on at fullback or at 10. He made a big impact when he came on. He did. He? he did. And we were cumbersome. We looked low on energy. You know, and it might be part of the master plan, but I've spoken to loads of England fans. Really underwhelming in terms of, like, we won. And I've, people messaging me go, I've never felt so deflated after an England win. Hmm. Like, lads, we're four from four. But it was that sort of performance. We've got no pace and attack. I think 30% of our ball was under three-second ruck speed, which is not very much at all. So the pace of the game we're playing, it looked like a game from the dark ages. From It looks like two separate tournaments are happening, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, and it looked like, you know, we're playing like England played in the 90s. And the game's moved on and evolved from that. But that's how Steve Borthwick coached his team. You talk about pace, we, you know, we haven't scored many tries. You've got a kid in the stands, Henry Arundel, scored five tries in one game. He's got game-breaking ability, X-factor. Can't get a look in, but there's a reason behind it. Oh, I've heard there's a reason behind it. Oh, here's one for you, lads. Oh, God. I heard. Oh, hang on. He heard. <laughs> through the grapevine and through my sources. Oh, that Henry Arundel and Owen Farrell had a bit of a set two and a scrap at training. And because you don't mess around with Faz, apparently, in this England squad, that's why Henry Arundel isn't even anywhere near the match day 23 after scoring five tries, by the way. Really? Which is massive. Rumours, though. You did, what can you take from that? Farrell wouldn't get in a scrap at training, would he? Mate, no smoke without fire, lads. Happy to say it. It's what I've heard on good authority. And I want Henry Arundel in the team. We've all had scraps at training, right? And if it's true, Jim, you've scrapped with people at training. I remember Neil Back scrapped with John Wells, who was the Leicester coach. The coach. At the time, they're, scra <laughs> <laughs> they're scrapping and we're like, oh, shit, what do we do? Two players fight and you, you're just like, oh, let them go. And then eventually you get split up. When someone's scrapping the coach, it's a whole different thing. And Dino walks over with, you know, with his limp and his big knee and back he says sorry and that's the end of it. But you can't let that affect a selection. And Johnny May, I don't think he's up to it at the minute, shouldn't be in the team. Square pegs, round holes. You know, we're playing load of people out of position. It doesn't work, Steve. Stick Marchant in the centre. Stick Tuolangi in the centre. Stick Ford or Farrell at 10. Stick... Wingers on the wing. You can play Elliot Daly on one wing. You can play Henry Arundel on the other wing. Johnny May's not getting in for me at the minute. And then Freddie Stewart, because he's so dependable. I want to see more from Freddie Stewart. Great under the high ball, but... Comfortable now. He's comfortable. Yeah, but he doesn't offer enough in attack. But maybe that's just because how the team is set up. Anyway, apparently Faz and Henry Arundel had a set two. Ding dong, ding dong. Who wins, Jim? Fat amazing northerner, mate. But Andrew, if it's you, quarterfinal, and maybe because it's Fiji, you might pick a different 10 to what you might do if it was an Argentina. Who do you pick at 10? I pick Farrell. Because it's Fiji defensively. Because it's Fiji, and you see the side, Samoa did it to George. You watch George Ford in defence, and he's given up five, six, seven, eight metres. can't tackle. Yeah, it goes high. It's a weakness in his game. He's not missing many tackles. He did make a good cover tackle. But when you're going out and out, you've got, to a sober coming at you, you've got 
Nathan Labour with his fit coming at you. You've got Randrandra coming at you. You've got Bottia coming at you as well from the back row. That's the one thing. When you've got monsters running at you like that, and you know this because you were a high tackler. I'd be sent off most weeks the way I used to tackle. But putting your heads in the spokes, people are like, oh, you can work on your defence. Defence and tackling are two different things. Yeah. So chop tackling, a monster coming at you. If you've not mastered it by now, you're probably not ever going to master it because yeah. it comes down to a mindset and being comfortable to put your edge where the spokes are. Maybe Sam Underhill plays 10 because Kev Sinfield talked him up already. He's flown over. Test match animal. I'm going to say you should start Farrell at 10 purely because of that physicality that's coming your way. Needs to hurry up with his kicks though. Another one that should have been signalled out as well. The conversion beforehand. Yeah, it got to zero. And then I think the, the ref then got a nudge. It's an error that will never happen again for own foul. First time it's ever happened, isn't it? The old shot clock. Well, there's been a few close ones that have been yeah. marginal. Like the one you mentioned, the conversion there, and the TMO brought himself. I thought we wanted to be on camera again and just say, can you just put me up on the big screen just while I get this in? I think they want to do the after-dinner speaking circuit, so that's why yeah. they're trying to get airtime. Do you think that the TMOs are doing it to get airtime? Do you think there yes. is an element of that? Definitely. Which I don't mind from a commercial point of view. If we're sponsored by... Asahi Dry. Hobnob's Biscuits. Get the biscuit tins in. Spec savers that I don't mind seeing them on camera <laughs> as much. But I just, I don't want to see the TMO. I don't mind hearing the audio. I don't mind seeing a snapshot of it. But the way I see about the TMO, Andy Rowe, it's like you now on social media that are commenting on rugby. Like as in... Yeah, what are you doing, Andy Rowe? Pipe the fuck down! <laughs> it's the visibility. You're thinking, right, this is the biggest shot window globally. How do I get on there? Press the button, press the tweet, or the X, or whatever you want to call it now. Andy, Andy Rowe, you're basically the Rugby Pods version of the TMO. <laughs> there he goes. Very true. Give me some air time. I've got the Andy Rowe show as well. He just laughed louder than you then, so the screen <laughs> triggered straight onto him. And again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Let's talk about your scrum half as well, Goody. Yep. Where are you going with that? Danny Kerr. Agreed. Danny Kerr. I mean, I was a massive fan of Alex Mitchell, but the way Alex Mitchell plays doesn't suit the way England play. He's a scrum half that likes to play at a, a pace and intensity and a tempo that England aren't playing at, so it doesn't suit him. So then when you're asking him to box kick to the cow sheds and back, and we saw the one that should have been a try to Nigel Arwong, the box kick goes straight up in the air because it's not a strength of his. So to me, Danny Kerr's come on. It's interesting how Ben Youngs has hardly played anything in this World Cup so far. I think Danny Kerr, he's come off the bench you know, he he can control a game, he can play at a tempo if needed, and he understands the game. And what I'm not having about Danny Kerr, people are talking about the Alan Shearer celebration. Nothing like Alan Shearer's celebration. Ooh. Danny Kerr's given it the point to the crowd. Shearer's was like a bent arm. And do you remember when um, Nicky Gonover did it properly for Newcastle up in when they played at St. James's Park? The Shearer celebration, not what you did, Danny, but I'd have Danny at nine. I think every time he's come on, he's done well. And Alex hasn't taken his opportunity at nine, Alex Mitchell. So doesn't suit the way Steve Borthwick coaches the team, which we ain't reinventing the wheel in a week in terms of that. We've seen a Steve Borthwick team for a few years at Leicester. And now there's nothing that I've seen from England to say we're going to change the way we play in this World Cup. Big question will come afterwards around Steve Borthwick, the progression of English rugby and how you change it on a four-year cycle because he's got a four-year contract after this World Cup. We need to see a huge change in that, but that's a conversation for another time. We ain't changing anything this weekend. So if you're playing a box kicking game, and you know you need a scrum half to still be a threat, then Danny cares your man. Just don't scrap with Faz at training, and you might get in. 
Well, Wales did what they had to do against Georgia and have won four from four to top Pool C and set up a quarterfinal against Argentina. We can have a chat about their World Cup now with former Welsh winger Alex Cuthbert. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Not too bad. Um, bit good. You said former, but um... yeah, I was just about to say. Hold on, you've not. <laughs> Andy Rowe's just retired him from international rugby. You absolute Judas, Andy Rowe. Come on, man. I need to make a bit of cash before I do that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because that was going to be my first question. Uh, we know what it's like as players, right? When you're in it, absolutely loving life. When you get dropped, you're hating life. When you're on the outside and you're looking in, it's kind of bittersweet, isn't it? When your team's doing well, but you're not there with them. How is it for you? Because I know you got dropped at the last kind of moment, as it were, one of the final hurdles. And that's almost harder to take than not being in or even being injured sometimes mentally, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. It took me a couple of weeks to get over it in terms of like, while well, I'm not going to the World Cup, because I just had it in my head from, you know, when I started coming back in. Everything was towards to get to the World Cup and then to be told not to. It's, yeah, it was a tough one to um, to swallow, but obviously a bit unlucky with that. I had a bit of a niggle actually before... Um, South Africa, so I couldn't play that game, and then obviously I was really on the back foot. Then that was a good one to miss, though, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I went and watched the game actually, and it was a pretty. Um, they were pretty good that day, South Africa, and we obviously had a lot of young boys, and yeah, it was a tough, tough day in the office that one. And just going back to the camps in Turkey and Switzerland, we heard there was waterboarding, motorboating, whatever it is. Babies cried. Did you not motorboat or sorry, waterboard very well or something? Is that why you didn't get picked? Uh, yeah, it didn't travel well. No, it was. He wanted everyone to be there. That was a hundred percent fit. Myself, Toby, and uh, a couple of the lads. We we got injured before Switzerland, so we weren't allowed to go in any of the camps unless you were hundred percent fit. They wanted to make sure that everyone was training fully and you know burying them into the ground every night, pretty much. And it probably is the one position where it's slight anomaly, really, because of the speed and how fast you have to be and you are so finely tuned. Do you know what I mean by that? As in a yeah. second row or back row, you can kind of go in a bit half-cooked with a couple of niggles, right? Yeah, I find with the front five, you can sort of plod your way through a lot of stuff, can't you? Whereas that's back three, especially with, it's quite a few young boys, you know, you've got to be on your money in training, you, know, you get found out and then you're like, geez, I don't want to give that fucker upper hand on yourself. So you really, it does push you to like another level. And I think as I've got older, I sort of just tapered my training. So I've just, I always do enough just so I can get to weekends, you know, week to week. Whereas this was just such another level. It was like, my body was like, what is going on, you know? So it just took a bit of adjusting. And obviously I didn't make it. So. I love it how you say plodded, mate. I was uh, I was finely tuned. You talk about plodding, Goody. Jim, are you joking? Finely tuned. I was more finely tuned than you, let's be honest. Well, that's not hard, though. That's not, I'll be honest, that's not hard. But I was from the same training regime later in his career as Alex. He said, just get to the weekend. So I had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off. And then Friday, team run day, I was ready. Let's talk about Wales then. It's an amazing turnaround, and I know it's probably bittersweet for you as well, talking about it, and I feel pretty bad saying it, but Jim Hamilton has written Wales off for a long, long time on this podcast. I've heard. Uh, yeah, and they are played 4-1-4. Brilliant performance against Australia. Yeah, the Fiji game as well, some unbelievable moments in there, and then sort of held on. How's it been from, I suppose, are you a fan? Are you, you know, a player that, Hope someone you don't hope someone gets injured, but you want to be out there. How's it been for you watching it, and what's the feeling like in Wales? Because it's a a massive turnaround from you know the despair of the Six Nations and then some of the Summer Series games as well. Yeah, mate, I'll, I'll be honest. The Six Nations it could not have got any worse, and I think we put ourselves while the Union probably put all the players in that situation, and and it, and it showed, didn't it, in terms of the way we were playing. I think they were expecting Gats to come in and just suddenly it worked straight away, but. There was so much off-field 
things going on, that was probably the reason why our performance was the way it was. But we all had a quiet sort of belief within the camp that we, you know, when we're, when we're together, we, we always seem to get better and better because our group was so close. We were quietly confident. I know no one else was, but we were quietly confident that we do quite well in the World Cup because we backed ourselves against teams like Fiji and we haven't lost for them to a while. I know, I know they played well and whatnot and Australia are looking in all sorts of trouble there, but you know, we were quietly confident that we backed ourselves in terms of our defence. I think it's probably won us a lot of these games in the, over the last couple of couple of games. Uh, and then form players like Gareth coming back in and, and showing his app quality, you know, against Australia. And, and, and like last week, or the weekend just gone, you got someone like Costello coming in out of nowhere and, you know, putting a pretty solid performance and beating a Georgia team that were, you know, for them, they thought they were going to beat us, knowing that they beat us in the autumn. So you know, they had that confidence behind them. And I think, it's sort of building, I think, game by game. You know, obviously everyone was like, oh, we're lucky to beat Fiji. But in my eyes, you watch 65 minutes, we all we won the game, really, didn't we? You know, a yellow card and it, it, it changes the game and people sort of just look at the final score. They should have scored at the end to win. Well, yeah, well, I think if we were a bit cleverer, like that said, they're never in that situation. And we would have probably won by 30, 40 points in the end. But obviously Portugal, you look at that game... You know, you make 13 changes in any team. I don't care who you are. It's not going to be clean, is it? And obviously, we got the win and people, typical sort of Welsh fans, you know, oh, they're rubbish. They should be winning by whatever. But I said, geez, we won two from two. You know, people thought we were going to lose to Fiji and then we had Australia. And then we dust them by 40 points. You know, we're in a pretty good position. And I don't think many teams, I know Ireland are going well and... You know, if we do get a result against Argentina, Ireland won't really want to... They won't look forward to playing us because they'll have all the pressure of, oh, they should be beating Wales. But they have deep in their mind that Wales have knocked them out of plenty of big tournaments and, and done them dirty of uh, plenty of Six Nations. So our boys will be very, very confident about that going forward, obviously, depending on the result against Argentina. Hey, oh, it's great listening to you speak, mate. You, you've not missed a beat on any of that. Not that we expected you to, but we had Andy Powell on a few times and there's obviously a few beats that go out a little bit out of tune and stuff like that. We're all right, Powell. Yeah, we love Powell. He's, uh, he's friend of the show. But it's great to have someone that's so close to the game in Wales, mate. And this is an obvious question, right? But I'll let you answer it. With the national team, when they're winning and when everything's going well and you kind of went through the kind of history over the last kind of year, the last couple of years where they haven't, been winning it hasn't been going well how important is it for Wales as a country and for the people living there and the working class and everything that it comes being in Wales having a team doing well it's, it's massive because that's all that people in Wales talk about is rugby you know like whether it's the, down a local club or the Ospreys Cardiff or, or anything like that and then it all just filters to you know the autumn campaign and then the Six Nations that that's why a lot of Welsh fans you know they're, they're, they're big rugby fans but those Wales games is when Wales stop and they just watch you know you've been to games the atmospheres in that stadium is just nothing like it, is it? And, and and now we're progressing into the, the tournament you'll see the amount of red that you'll see now you know like it's just like Ireland you know it's like when Ireland play they just their fans seem to always travel wherever they are in, in the world we know the Irish are absolutely everywhere aren't they and they're always behind I think when you Wales do get on a bit of a run it feeds into the boys that confidence in terms of how much it means to people, not just friends and family, but the, the wider community as well. And, and like, you know, everyone was writing us off before the World Cup, thinking, oh, this is going to be a rubbish World Cup. And I think it's just really changed because, you know, the boys as a group and, and Welsh rugby, as it probably couldn't have got any worse after Six Nations. So this is just the perfect sort of little motivation in terms of people supporting and probably falling back into love with Welsh rugby a little bit, I reckon. Let's look at 
the game at the weekend then, obviously Georgia, it was a game that probably everyone expected Wales to win off the back of what they've done. But the big news, you know, good performance. You mentioned Sam Costello earlier, I thought after, you know, pretty tough first sort of 10 minutes. I thought he played really well after that. Uh, obviously, Lucery Zamek gets some tries. And the big news, obviously, Gareth Hanscombe. We saw his face. He was absolutely devastated. And then Toby Falatau as well with his broken arm. How big a loss is a day? And he's called up Kieran Hardy. Did you not say, mate, you could play back row as well? <laughs> yeah, I did. I could play back row. Anyway, I'd play, play anywhere to get out there, to be honest, mate. But no, yeah, going back to Toby, yeah, massive loss. I think he's a sort of like comfort blanket for a lot of players in that squad, you know. You know, over the years and squads, you knew you were going to be in the trenches and he was a guy that you'd have with you and, and always rely on. You know, he always seems to do the basics very well and doesn't overthink, doesn't, isn't he? There's not much flashiest of players, Toby, but he does simple things very well that, you know, he makes it look very easy, doesn't he? And he makes players around him then feel comfortable to go and do their sort of thing, whereas losing someone like that, you know, it is a bit, it's going to be a bit of a struggle. But I do think that, you know, Aaron Wainwright has gone well and he hasn't even played in his preferred position. So, I do think he can do a job there. And in regards to Gareth, you know, I spoke to him before the game. He said he felt pretty good. And then obviously in the warm-up, something's happened. And he said he's pretty sore, but he's got a lot of power left in there. And I, I do think the medics, they got there, they're pretty good at getting boys back quickly. And hopefully for Wales' sake that he can take part, you know, and hopefully Biggs is obviously going to be back fit as well. So Why have they called up Kieran Hardy, do you think? Is there... Something more behind that is their lack of depth in the back row. What do you think he's thinking? Well, you've got to look, like, who, who are you going to replace Toby with? There's probably no one else, really, back row-wise. They took all the back row they could take. Ross Moriarty. Oh. <laughs> you know, the one when he also, we got a lad at Osprey's called Morgan Morris, who's pretty good at number eight as well. So I just don't think he thought he's going to replace him. You know, they've obviously got Wayne that's going to cover eight now. Yeah, You'll have Jack Morgan come back in. Tommy Rafal has probably played himself into the team now, especially with the injury. Yeah. And then you've still got Tane Basham, which is another you know, seven. And then you've got Lydia as well. So their back row options, they've got plenty there. And I think mm. in the backs, he was always wanted to take another back. But just obviously with the 19-14 split, he, he went with that. And the scrum halves, they've only got two scrum halves. And they're doing every rep in training all week. It makes a lot of sense in terms of that. Because they've got wing cover with George and Mason Grady. You've got the centre cover with Johnny Williams, Nick Tompkins, Mason George. You know, Josh Adams can also play in the centre as well. And I think you've got Lee Halpin, he can cover fullback. And Zamet, I think, can cover fullback. And I think with the Six Nations coming out here, be one that'd be looking to play fullback. So that, that's another option as well. You mentioned one player then, obviously, one of your teammates, Jack Morgan. We've spoken about him a lot on the podcast before the World Cup, and he's been an absolute revelation as skipper and as a just a, a player in a team over the World Cup. Just talk to us a little bit about him because it, he's been phenomenal, hasn't he? He is on another level. I, I remember signing up for the Ospreys a couple of years ago. Me and Gareth, we, we live share because we live next to each other, Gareth Anscombe. And uh, within like two, three sessions, we were on the way back, we were chatting about the game. I was like, who the fuck is this lad? Like, I didn't have a clue who he was. <laughs> I was like, he's at every breakdown, wide, mid, like, he, he just seems to read the game so well. And then he, then they said, the scar, let's let him go. And I was like, geez, is he, what, is he just a good trainer or whatnot? And then we played a couple of games and I was like, this guy is an absolute worldie. He's unreal. He never has a bad game. I've never seen him have a bad game. And even when people say he's had an amazing game, for me, he was like just normal Jack, you know, like he's got another level. He's got levels to go, you know, that, that's how good I think, well, I think he is. And 
obviously you guys think also. Yeah, mate, we rate him massively on here. What about as a captain and a leader? Is it one of them where he's a natural leader or they're kind of moulding him in and there's no better person to do that than Warren Gatlin? But Jack, he's such a down-to-earth guy. Like He's one of them guys who, who play a match, lost home and have a couple of bottles of red with his old man on the ass, fall asleep on the couch. He's not one to go out. He's complete opposite to like Zamet who'd be out, you know, to God knows what clubs and all sorts. But leadership-wise, yeah, he's from the front and he speaks to the ref quite well. He's quiet in his sort of manner in terms of, he'll only say a few things in terms of what he wants. And he's always like a, a next job sort of, Focus, you know, he's not a guy who's just going to scream and shout at you. You know, he's just going to, he'll obviously just probably grow into it. And they'll probably, like you said, they'll probably mold him into sort of, I guess, the captain, uh, the sort of type of bloke he'll be. You know, like sort of Sam Warburton was sort of, was a little bit like that when, when I remember when I first started with him. You know, he wasn't the guy that would be shouting and screaming at absolutely everyone, but he just grew into the role. And I guess you just do that for experience. And there's no better experience than the World Cup, is it? No, certainly not. Let's look forward to the quarterfinal then, pal. Argentina, you know, they started shockingly in the group against England, but they've seemed to have got progressively better. And their game against Japan at the weekend, I thought they played some really good stuff. The, the threats of Carreras and some of the other guys in the backs, it's a strong back line, isn't it? What, what, what do you expect from the game? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a bit of a worry, isn't it, really, in terms of they've sort of got better with each game, whereas I guess whereas we, we sort of have as well, but maybe we stuttering a, a couple of times. But they're, they're going to be physical, aren't they? They're going to you know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to probably go after our set piece a little bit and they look to probably get us a little bit tighter in defence because we have, we have been known to get a little bit tight and they've got some serious wheels on there with that, that career. She's good with ball and ball in hand, good quick feet. Defensively, I think we're going to be making an awful lot of tackles. I feel like they're going to have the ball a lot and more, more than us. So kicking game is going to be massive. Whether Gareth's fit or, or terms of goal kicking is going to be big. I think we're going to be taking a lot of points. Whether we're going to score a lot of tries, I, I don't think so. I think it's going to be quite a tight affair. Massive up front. Front five is going to determine who's going to win that. And then Crystal Ballett, pretend Alex Cuthbert is head coach of Wales. Who are you picking at 10 this weekend? Gareth Anscombe or Dan Bigger? If they're both fit. If they're both fit. I think, gee, that's tough that because I think... <laughs> Your neighbour <laughs> or a legend, a Welsh legend. Dan's like one of my best mates, so I'll probably have to pick him, wouldn't I? But I think <laughs> they both offer so... I think they complement each other perfectly. I, you know, it's like at 10, I think, Bigs, I think they worked well in you know, 2019 when they won the Grand Slam with Gareth starting and, you know, his all-around sort of game, flat to the line, a lot of pace, kicking options in terms of, you know, his little birds and snookers options. And then Bigs coming off, I think he can control the game perfectly, you know, with his territory, how he looks for those crossroad kicks and he's obviously one of the best in the air. So they do complement each other very well, whether one starts, one on the bench. I, I don't think it really matters, I think. But Gareth? But Gareth, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, I was going to ask you about the lay of the land. We've got a load of Welsh people listening to this podcast. What is the lay of the land at regional level with the clubs and stuff like that? Are things looking more positive now? Yeah, I think it's a little bit more settled in terms of, obviously last year there was a lot of exodus of players in terms of contracts were a bit all over the shot and and players chose to go elsewhere and a lot of players wanting to choose to go elsewhere, but not really being in that many options, is there? You know, with the, the amount of English clubs that have obviously gone under and and so forth. So I think academies is going to be big, especially the Ospreys. Like since I've been going back, there's me, Justin Tipperick, literally the only boys over 30. The rest are all in the 25, you know, so it's going to be used for a couple of years. I think we're going to have a couple of years of, of a little bit of struggle, you know, may, may get some good wins here and there, but it's going to be obviously a big development 
couple of years down in especially the Ospreys I think the Scarlets and the Blues everyone's sort of in the same situation really so I think once we get through that sort of period I think hopefully then we can reap rewards with you know the new rules in terms of only needing 25 caps to play for Wales you know that that will sort of let the bigger boys who are on the bigger money go elsewhere and then the youth then will help the younger boys will get more opportunity to play and hopefully you know develop a bit a bit quicker than what they would if they're playing you know just Welsh Championship level. Yeah, there's good lads coming through, though. Are there Jack Morgan's coming through the system, right? Yeah, 100%. A guy called Morgan Morse played for the Wales 20s, I think. Oh, Morsey boy. Morsey boy, yeah. He's um, <laughs> 18, 19, absolute freak, mate. He's another one coming through that uh, number eight back row who's um, another one that come from, you know, all the back rows come from Wales, don't they? But um, he's another one that would be coming through, I think, and, uh, and having a big year. Right, last thing I'm going to ask you then, Lewis Free Summit, I know it's tough to ask you because obviously you're playing no, right. in the same position. It gives you an opportunity now because he looks a million dollars. He runs bloody quick, quicker than anyone else. Tell me something that's wrong with him. Has he got hairy back? Has he got bad breath? Has he? I could tell you plenty of stories about him, but whether I should say it on here, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, he's, to be fair, well, there's a few things wrong with him, but to be fair, he's, 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 he's going well. You know, I think, when I first got into the camp, I think a couple of years ago, he was obviously very, very young and um, starting every game. And then um, obviously I came in and, and he got dropped, didn't he? But um, ever since then, <laughs> but since then, you know, he, I think he has really grown up and matured as a player. And I think you can see now he, he is absolute quality. You know, he's, there's no substitute for paces there, you know, and he's got abundance of that and, and he's showing it. I think for Wales, we just need him to get the ball more. So whether his actual position will be winger, I don't know. I think we need to get him the ball a lot more. Does he need to be a bit careful, though, with everything? And lot I know a little bit about him is at Gloucester. I've got mates at Gloucester. You go aesthetically how he looks. There's already been a documentary made on him. Yeah, I'm a big fan of him. I like the fact he's putting himself out there. It is very different to lads of my generation, your generation as well. But there seems to be, there could be a Gavin Henson story that... that you know, the kind of similarities around that. And there was no social media when Gav was about, really. Thank God. Thank God. Is there a worry <laughs> around that, Alan? I know it's, it might be hard for you to answer, but do you know what I mean? Like maybe not a little bit of advice to people watching it kind of unfold. Or do you think he's all right? He's got the right people around him. Well, I think, I think he's, he's, a very, he's a very big family man, you know, in terms of, um, it, it showed that obviously in the, in the documentary. And I, and I sort of, you know, you've got to give it to him in terms of opening him up a little bit and showing what he is about and and he sort of you know he says how it was really you know he, he like he likes to play rugby but he likes the you know the the other side more and I, I don't blame him for sort of opening up that and sort of I think we need to see a bit a few more characters in terms of our game I like it yeah I'm with you I think like you know Marlow was probably the only other one that really sort of if you asked anyone about a rugby player who they know they, you know there's not many names they would you know whereas football you, I know it's a lot bigger but bigger personalities and I just think we need to open our game a little bit more to a bigger audience. And I think if you're allowing people to come in and see what, you know, what we're all about, whether it is maybe showing a bit more about what we do in training and, and you know, sort of build-ups in terms of the games. I think the Netflixing with the Six Nations could be quite good. So that, that would be quite good to watch and sort of people will understand what actually goes into a test match week and, and what it is sort of mentally, physically it takes and... Um, with Zam, I think he's just riding that wave, you know. I think at the moment he's linchpin in terms of in Welsh rugby, but I think he's going to be world rugby after this, isn't he? If, if, if he keeps going the rate he's going, and you know, I think Dan Carter's cashed in, isn't he? So why not 
Yeah, Jim, stop being negative about Wales again, Jim. Let Lewis re-summit be Lewis re-summit. No, no, no. It was more when he did the Sioux against Portugal and then he smiled and he had bigger <laughs> Nashes in than... I didn't even know you could get Nashes that big, but if you've got the money, I suppose you can. <laughs> well, we did get a turkey for training camp, didn't we? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alex, before we let you go, the Ospreys, they're doing something a bit different this year with your home URC fixture against the Sharks, aren't you? You're swapping Swansea for the Stoop? I think they're trying something new, I think, in terms of changing out. We've got a good fixture, obviously. Pick the Sharks, I think, for a Friday night game at the Stoop. I think sort of seeing that there are obviously a lot of South African fans in the UK and especially in London, I think how well we travelled, I think, to Saracens in the Heineken Cup last season. I think they're trying something different. It's quite good for us, so, you know, change of sort of scenery and obviously a good night out after after a good win, hopefully. So um, I think they're hopefully going to push this a couple of times throughout the season and, and sort of change it up and hopefully, you know, try and get some new fans in terms of whether you do support Ospreys or, or the Sharks, but just get involved and, uh, and come and support. So that's Ospreys v Sharks at the Twickenham Stoop in London. On Friday the 3rd of November, tickets, exclusive VIP experience is, and hospitality packages are available now at the Ospreys online ticket office. Mate, thanks for coming on the show. No worries, mate. Cheers for having me. It's always a pleasure. Cheers, Cutty boy. Hopefully, you still got a chance to be out of the World Cup. If I don't want to wish anyone an injury, but I'd love to see you out there, pal. You still on the list, yeah? Well, I was, yeah, but I just had a little niggle on uh, last week, early last week, so it set me back a little bit. Oh, shit. Yeah, Sorry, it could have been me or Hardy. <laughs> Sorry, pal. <laughs> Mate, you've passed your apprenticeship on the, in the media. This is like the start. All you need to do is add a golf buggy story just to the mix, just to go over some old ground, and then you're in. We'll see you at the live shows. I got a few worse than that. But I just got away with it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good man. All right. No worries. Cheers, boys. Cheers, Cathy boy. Legend, mate. All the best. Top lad. Top bloke. He is. He's a good cook as well. I did a thing with him years ago, actually, for Wooden Spoon. A lot of rugby players were chefs at a... Uh, Japanese restaurant. He's good at that as well. Great bloke, Cuthy. Salt the earth. Loves a few beers. He's got some stories, but I think he's keeping them under wraps for his book. Yeah, didn't miss a beat on the podcast either. And I say that with all due respect, not that I thought he'd come on and he would be completely guarded, but I think there's an opportunity for that. I know Sam Warburton's in the media doing his bit. Shane Williams is doing his bit as well, but I thought he spoke incredibly well. And yeah, there's a few stories out there. So we're getting down to a live show when Wales... Knock Ireland out of the, uh, the semi-final. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm an Irish fan. You're trying to redeem yourself in, in the eyes of the Welsh. I don't need to redeem myself in the eyes of anyone. You do, James. You've been bagging them for years. I have. I look at them now. Some might say I'm the catalyst. Well, let's have a look ahead to the quarterfinals then. Let's start with Wales-Argentina. How much are Wales going to miss Felatau? Because he's a big part of their game plan, isn't he? Yeah, he's huge. He's like the dad of the group, and I mean that respectfully, because he's been there, done it. You know, he's been in some mammoth games for Wales, for British and Irish Lions, and he's a top quality operator. You know, there's times when he's had injuries and niggles and he's been quiet, but international test animal, that is Toby Falatau. So he is kind of the bridge between the youngsters that are coming through, but he's a, a dependable minimum 8 out of 10 player week in, week out. And so he's a huge loss to them. I'm gutted for him because... You know, how many more times we you see him in a Welsh jersey after the World Cup? You know, you want him to go out on a high and breaking your arm against Georgia. Unfortunately for him, it's very sad. And it's sad for Wales as well. They have a lot of talent in the back row. Obviously, I think Wainwright will come into play at eight. Jack Morgan in the back row as well. And then there's obviously a decision between Basham, Tommy Rafael, Lydia as the A and other. Pablo Matera's out for Argentina as well, isn't he? 
we're at the stage of the tournament now where this happens, doesn't it? I know it, it can happen any time to any player. I think he's a big player for them, big emotional driver, which is a lot of Argentina's game. Like I will say, these games between the two of them are always close. Like they, you could say they play fairly similar way, but that's probably a superficial line when I'm talking about it. The games are always close. Both great coaches at the helm. Argentina have just built, haven't they, throughout the tournament to get to this point. They've almost embarrassed themselves. You think about how bad they were against England game one, England down to 14 men. Do you reckon they planned it? This might, I was thinking about this over the weekend because they have got better and better, right? Do you reckon they planned it? No. <laughs> Andrew, I Let's don't think... be not very good. I just think back to Marcel Lafreda when we had him as coach. Just gig as the balls. Jim, you know play well against the Irish. I said, Marcel, <laughs> I didn't fucking play against London Irish. What are you talking about? <laughs> A lovely man, Marcelo Freire. Lovely just man, to confirm. but my goodness me. They've got progressively better. They've got some quality players. Carreras at 10, mm. we know is brilliant. Carreras on the wing, outstanding. I love Choco Barres in centres. Obviously scored a pretty tasty try against Japan. Buffelli kicks the ball unbelievably well. He's a decent player. Sometimes question how much he wants it under the high ball. But Sinti, brilliant one Cruz Malia as well at fullback. I mean, they yeah, are... Mate, they, they've got some proper players like Marcus Kremer in the back row, Julian Montoya or Montoya, whoever you listen to on comms around Montoya? They've got quality players. Like, there's undeniable some of the highest paid players in the world within their squad. But th they need to get their emotional driver, which they will have against Wales at the weekend. I, I think it's going to be a lot closer, not than what people think, but maybe a lot closer than what I maybe thought it would have been yeah. If you asked me two, three weeks ago. Argentina have got momentum now. The game against Japan is a really, a really enjoyable game, actually. I ain't ever going against Wales ever again. Never. Wales are winning the World Cup. Well, Mate, no. No, Jim. Don't say that because they'll now lose. Okay, you need to right. keep bagging them. Okay. Because they keep proving you wrong. But I can't against Argentina. I think Wales are just surprising. And well, I think it's massive for rugby with everything that they've been through. I think Wales win it. It'll be closer. I tell you what is interesting, obviously, you're looking at all four quarterfinals and it's Northern Hemisphere against Southern Hemisphere in, in the mall. All the Northern Hemisphere teams top the group, Andy Rowe, how are you? But you can make an argument for it could be an all Northern Hemisphere semi-finals, which is madness really, isn't it? But to me, I, I don't know. I, I want to back Wales because of Gats, because of, I'm caught a Welsh. You know, they've knocked out the Aussies, happy days. Has something spiked in your mind with Argentina because how good their attack was? Yeah. 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 That's the one thing, because against Japan, because how much Japan wanted the game, how physical they were. But I was surprised to see actually how electric Argentina looked at times. Yeah. And that's the one seed of doubt. But Wales' defence is very good. I reckon Wales win by uh, eight. I feel harsh doing this. My head says one thing, my heart wants another. What do they want? My heart wants Wales. My head is saying Argentina by two. Oh, okay then. I hope I'm wrong. What about Ireland, New Zealand? Yes, come on, the Irish. Would it be fair to say New Zealand may be better with the ball, Ireland no. better without the ball? Mate, no. Do you not, not see the now. game at the weekend? How good are Ireland with the ball? It just looks different because they're close quarter work. Brian O'Driscoll, chatting to him last week, he gave the perfect kind of outline. He's like, it's 55% Ireland, 45% New Zealand. The All Blacks have won the World Cup three times, right? They've got history in the tournament. But in terms of the emotional drivers, I'll go back to it. In terms of how the teams look, in terms of the profile of the teams, like Ireland know they're 15. That's if Mac Hansen gets 
through the week with his calf. I think it was a dead leg. James Lowe with an eye. James Ryan with a hand. But you know the Ireland team and they're in, all in the right positions. Yeah. With the All Blacks, there's a few questions. Does Sam Kane start? Does Damian McKenzie come in? And because they're not battle-hardened, because they've had two effective team runs going into that game, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I think it's bad. I think Ireland look unbelievably conditioned, everything that we've gone through and spoken about. I think the All Blacks, for the first time, maybe ever, they did in the semi-final against England as well, but maybe the first time to say it out loud, I think they lack power especially in that front five. The question marks over Sam Keynes as he start is a big one because he's captain. These are questions. He will start. Shouldn't though, should he? There you go. How many times have we ever said that the All Blacks captain number seven shouldn't start? We've never said that. So when all that's said and done, it feels like there's a fractured element to the All Blacks going into this game. Ian Foster, no longer coach. I would be absolutely shocked which is crazy to even say, to say I'd be shocked. If the All Blacks beat Ireland at the weekend, which I don't think they will, I will be absolutely shocked. Andy Rowe, I'm going to come to you on this. Don't go deep. Don't go TMO on me. Just give us a couple of lines on whether or not you think the All Blacks will win. Let's hear the arrogance. Come on. I think they will win. Uh, arrogance. If, oh, if, my if, word. Based on what? Based on how they always knew that this is the game that they needed to win. The, the first game against France and the game against Springboks, this is all building towards this game. Whereas Ireland have had to show their card all the way through the tournament. You're looking at their injuries. James Ryan, Matt Canson, James Lowe, Robbie Henshaw and Keith Earls all under injury clouds. The All Blacks have been able to manage their team to peak. Played some touch to, rugby, mate. Yeah, but they've been able to manage their players on an athlete level to be peaking for this quarterfinal. Gilly. If, and if they... Gilly's exactly, a legend. Gilly, yeah. look what he did to you. Yeah. He'll be doing the same with the All Blacks. So those stick him on a walk bike to lose 18 kilos? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have the niggles, they don't have the injuries that any other team in the competition had. So everything is pointing towards what Ian Foster's been saying is they've learnt from 2019 where they peaked to beat South Africa and then it didn't really matter. So they've gone, okay, the game that matters is the quarterfinal. Are you saying you're throwing games. games on the way to this quarterfinal? Yeah, I'll put my name to it. Oh, Andy Rowe. Maybe it is that arrogance where I'm like, is Andy Rowe just fucking convinced one of the best podcasters on the planet, the expert who thought Scotland were going to be Ireland <laughs> at the weekend? <laughs> I think your argument, Jim, is a stronger argument than Andy Rowe's argument because, yes, they're fresh. Why are you the judge on this? Why are you... You're, I'm, are I'm we... in the, you've given me your argument. Andy Rowe's <laughs> given me his argument as to why New Zealand are going to win. But you're right, Jim. The power Thank element. You. Like, the type five ain't great, is they're it? They're not for... the same. You know, you, you play Takiaho, he can't throw in. Why are you being horrible? Takiaho might not even be in the 23. Really? Might not mm. even. Dane Coles has been playing well off the bench. Yeah, true. And and, and they want Dane Coles in there for the chirp. For the chirp. Hang on, wait there. For Andy the chirp. Wrote... You're picking a team on chat. <laughs> well, Beth Fox. Yeah, on breath and chat. <laughs> Beth Fox, goody. If, he, if that's Andy Rowe's assessment that's on That's what the All Blacks, Blacks have win. gone down to. <laughs> we're picking a team and we're picking a guy in the 23 just to give some shit chat to try and rile up the Irish. Scotland tried that. How did that go? I think you're massively underestimating the type five for the All Blacks. Massively. Oh, no, yeah. we're not. No, they're, not. they're coming not good like, now. They're coming no. good now. On, no, based on what? Uruguay. <laughs> based on the being able to manage some... Manage, manage some Manage the you can't even say it, mate. mate they got absolutely <laughs> smoked by South Africa. Yeah. They got absolutely okay. decimated. They, keep going. And, that, and that reinforces my point. They had been on the plane oh, coming over five, five, five days beforehand. <laughs> five, five days beforehand, they'd come oh, over and they were jet lagged. And 
most of them, their top players hadn't played for a month. South Jet Africa like. were coming off a game against Wales where they hosed them. That this is this is a plan. This is Foster's grand plan, and it's all. But coming. you just you just said they've not been tested. They're they're fresh. I didn't say they hadn't been tested. Well, you said they threw the game against France, <laughs> and then they've been playing touch ever since. But I take Ireland's tight five every day of the week over the All Blacks tight five. Like how many All Blacks players make it into the Ireland team? If you were picking a combined team, well, they've already got three Ireland. Sorry, oh, yeah. sorry, I know. Sorry, <laughs> it's three in the Irish team that wouldn't make the All Blacks. I'll tell you that. Good, you got to give us it, mate. You've not said. I've, I'm going to go Ireland. I mean, I, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, mate, I ain't changing. If England can't win it, which I don't think we can at the minute, Ireland. I'm going to go Ireland by seven. Oh, I, I don't even think it matters, but I'm going to say Ireland by twelve, eleven. How did you know? 11. I was going to say, yeah, eleven, eleven. Yeah, Andy Rowe, what are you going? It uh, doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, I think New Zealand by four. We're trying to get Andy Rowe tickets for the quarterfinal. He wants to come and be pitch side of the Big Gym show, but we've got... Mate, maybe get no, him on. No. Get, get me in there. Get him on. He's got 16 listeners to his podcast. You can collaborate. Well, we'll see. If Dan Carter, Richie McCaw and Nal Horan pull out, then we might think about getting you on, <laughs> Andy Rowe. England and Fiji. Goody, how confident are you going into this game? I mean, you're not confident of the way England's playing. And no. I look at Fiji and... Do you know what? From the weekend, Portugal played exceptionally well. And a few weeks ago, everyone was saying, you know, Fiji or everyone, if you don't support Fiji, they're your second team because of how they play and all this stuff. Their tank looked like it's running low at the minute. You know, Nitha Levu, skipper, went down with a bit of a knee, got it strapped up, you know. Was he at full speed? Randrandra's injured. Like, if they're on it, we're in trouble. Make no bones about it. If they're on it and the, the tanks are full, and Randrandra's there to us over. He didn't look... What you've just said then about Fijian tanks look low on energy, that's exactly what I was going to say. And you're a million percent right. They look like they're just completely... They've given so much at the start. And that win against England the week before the World Cup as well, that emotional toll it's taken. Yeah. What about England's tanks? Well, England's tanks are just slow at the minute. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think we're low on energy. We're just like we're running on diesel. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm back in England because I'm English. I want England to win. It's just been underwhelming again. It's like it's back to the summer series with that performance. You know, if we kick long and loose to Fiji, we can be in trouble. If we kick to compete and win our ball back. And Courtney Law said it in the week about the DNA of the England team is how strong our defence is and how we win ball back off our own kicks and we launch attack off that, which I thought, I love Courtney. I think he speaks really well. But I was like, if that's the mindset of a team saying our DNA is defence and winning the ball back off contestable kicks and then attacking off that, it ain't a great game plan, is it? But England will be pragmatic and play the Steve Borthwick way if we play anywhere near like we played against Samoa, Fiji win by 10 points. I just think England, I'm hoping England have got too much nous and too much set-piece dominance to win the game. Come on, England. Jim, how do you see it going? I don't know what it is about England, and maybe it is the court of English in me, but I think it is a disaster for English rugby if they don't beat Fiji. Not just get knocked out, they get knocked out having played how they've played. I think... A big word using the word disaster, but I just think for English rugby, they need to galvanise spirit somehow. And I'll go back to Martin Goody's when we initially said it at the same time around 
the tank being empty for Fiji. That's what it looks like. Were they embarrassed against Portugal? I thought Portugal were phenomenal. But really, Fiji should be losing to Portugal. So yes, you can say on that side of things, they were slightly embarrassed. So have they got one last push in them? Because I, I agree with Goody. If they do, they beat England. But I just think, I just think England understand the enormity of it. And maybe they've got something up their sleeve. So I think England win. And I think that they click into gear and England win by 10. Thank you for backing our country, Jim. You're English. Thank you. Do the Springboks go with Leboc or Pollard? Leboc. Leboc. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Razzie said it, hasn't he? He talked about it. Be interesting, actually, to see the balance of the bench with the Springboks because you can make an argument for a 6-2 and not have Pollard on the bench as well. But he's probably going to go 6-2 and have to have Andre Pollard. DuPont, reading the press today, that he's back training and back ready to go. I mean... Can you imagine? How hard are you to be able to do that? What did your head say? Like I said, if you had to say it now. My head's saying South Africa. Mine too. Mental. Yeah. You know, the pressure now of you playing the world champions who have got the you know, muscle memory of of winning big knockout games, an immensely strong squad and bench. You know, the knock-on effect of some of the injuries that the French have had. Is their bench as strong as South Africa's? I don't think so. The one thing around South Africa, I think that you just can potentially see the creak is around hooker. Yeah. I know that Clive mentioned it on ITV that Mazzola Mapimpi needs yeah, to come Mapimpi on the hooker. Yeah, apparently needs to... <laughs> he's the answer. Mapimpi's the answer to come on. But as we know that he's gone home with a broken eye socket. But you do wonder if it's a close game and you've got Dion Ferri yeah. or you've got Van Staden, whoever they decide to put in that position and throw the ball in. We're talking about the very best teams in the world where them small things matter. So with Bungi and Banambi, you're all right. Yeah, yeah, do you know what I mean? So there's a couple of question marks on both teams. Like, is DuPont, is it right for him to play? I think it is if he's been past fit, but has that distracted them away? You know, like you said, some of the injuries that they've got, the pressure of being at home, it is the world champions. I'm going to go South Africa by five. Or I was going to say South Africa by four, which again, great minds, Jim, or absolute clowns. You work it out. Well, I know which one. <laughs> I know which one people are thinking. Unbelievable that potentially we'll see France, South Africa, and New Zealand out this weekend. It's hard to call though, isn't it? Like these, it is. We're putting pressure the two on the two games between Ireland, and New Zealand, and France and South Africa. Without going over old ground, they feel like semi-finals, don't they? They do, and that's what you want. You want semis, and obviously every knockout game, but. So hard to call. It's just such a shame that four of them are all playing against each other, even though that helps out England and Fiji and Wales and Argentina. But I'm going to South Africa by five, yeah. Right, should we finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly? Yeah, let's. We're going to start off with a bit of championship action, James. Well, it's not in the championship. It's in the Premiership Rugby Cup. And shout out to Bedford Blues for oh, beating the Leicester Tigers under 14s at the weekend. It was actually the Tigers' first team, but it was effectively a very young side. But shout out to them for the first time since 1979. Bedford, so well done to everyone involved. What else was good? Damien McKenzie's assist for Will Jordan's try. Ridiculous bit of skill. Owen Farrell gets a shout out in the good for breaking Johnny Wilkinson's England points record, even though the shot clock got him. What else was good? Peter Omani, 100 caps for Ireland, joins a very select crew and he's a wonderful player. Wonderful human being, and he stuck it to the Scots after already oh, talked themselves up like they were going to beat us. So, big shout out to Peter Omani. Amato Fakatava gets a huge shout out for his try for Japan. If you haven't seen it, 
get on World Rugby websites or social media. Second row, running down the wing, chip and chase, wonderful try. Probably the best try second row's ever scored, apart from Jim Hamilton's effort against India. What else was good? Matteo Carreras, eight carries, 71 metres gained, eight defenders beaten, and a World Cup hat-trick for the Argentinian from New 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 Ursel. So, uh, massive shout-out to him. What else was good? The chase back and clearing kick by Portuguese hooker Mike Tadger. Do you reckon he's got a Tadger? Todger or Tadger? Well, it's a Tadger or a Todger, whatever it is, but hell of a career for him as well. I think he's jacking in after the World Cup. Hell of a chase back. What else was good? Well, it wasn't all bad news for Scotland because there were some absolute heroes of Scotland and Ireland, led by Kenny Logan, who did a monster cycle ride and walk 700 miles from Edinburgh to Paris to deliver the match ball before Ireland against Scotland. They've raised over £600,000 for the My Name's Doddy Foundation. So a massive shout out. They don't win the good because there's a special good this week for a team. But a massive shout out to Kenny Logan, Ali McCoist, Jimmy Nesbitt. Who else was there? Kirsty Gallagher, Gabby Logan, Jason Fox. Doddy's son, Hamish, who brought the ball on. Mate, how cool does Hamish look? Do you see what Hamish did? He was like, Kenny, just gives the ball, mate. And he handed <laughs> the ball over. <laughs> yeah. Hamish has got some swag, hasn't he? I love that boy. We had a few yeah. beers in Hong Kong as well. So, yeah, massive shout out to everyone involved in that cycle rider. Raised a huge amount of money. So, um, congrats to everyone involved. Yeah, unreal. But the good this week is going to go to Portugal, a country I love to go on holiday to, ladies and gentlemen. They got their first World Cup victory against Fiji, the very last group game. The scenes were phenomenal. The way they play rugby, Patrice Lagisca's coach, who's stepping down now, has been phenomenal. Oh, is he gone? Yeah, he's stepping down. Yeah. Well, yeah, he knows he's smart. He's thinking, right, there's a big top 14 deal coming. But they were class, mate, Portugal. Their scrum half, Samuel Marquez as well. Yeah. He, he looks about 60, but I would say he's been one of the players of the tournament as well. Yeah, outstanding. So, Portugal, I'll see you in the summer in the Algarve, in Quinta de Lago. I love that place. And that is why, not because of the holidays, but Portugal getting their first ever World Cup victory, beating Fiji. Could have gone and helped Teddy Jones out, but decided to kick it out to take the victory. I was giggling. Yeah, mate. Go for it, mate. <laughs> no. Take the win, boys. So, massive shout out to Portugal, everyone involved. That's why they're going to win the good this week. The bad, few bits are bad. We're going to start off with uh, Carl Dixon chalking off an Italy try with his TMO and almost giving a yellow card. Luke Pierce wasn't having any of it. Luke Pierce was like, mm, and literally walked off, said he thought he couldn't believe what was being said about Ferrari. Anyway, Ferrari takes out Luku, cleans him out in the chest, then a few phases later goes on to score a try. Carl Dixon and the TMO managed to basically not give the try. So that was not very good. That's why it's in the bad. Owen Farrell getting timed out by the shot clock. And the first time it's ever happened, so he'll learn from that. England get mentioned in the bad, just two tries from 17 visits to the opposition 22. And 34% of their rocks were under three seconds. So very slow game. They use their get-out-of-jail-free card, but we'll see how we get on the quarterfinals. But underwhelming. Scotland, unfortunately, Jim, get mentioned in the bad. Did they freeze on the big stage? No, I mean, it was just a big defeat, wasn't it? I blame Jim for not wearing his kilt. So actually, Jim, you were in there with them. But the bad this week... Oh, I'm fine. Give it to me. The bad this week, unfortunately, goes to our friends from Italy. Suffered their biggest ever defeat to France. They have underwhelmed at the World Cup. They got absolutely dominated by the All Blacks a few weeks back. And now suffered their biggest ever defeat to France. So, unfortunately, Italy, you get the bad this week. And then the ugly, couple of bits of ugly, Kieran Crowley gets a mention in the ugly this week. Ooh. Hooked off his skipper, Michele Lamaro, three minutes into the second half. Fuming, he was as well. 
raging, as you would be. Yeah, a bit of a weird one. Well, maybe he heard that Lamaro might have been involved in discussions to get rid of Kieran Crowley, which Ooh. I don't. That's not a rumor. That's not a rumor. Was he scrapping with Owen Farrell as well? I know he'd win that. The Roman Gladiator. But the ugly this week, unfortunately, goes to our friend Gareth Anscombe and his injury. After everything he's been through and having seen the feature on S4C this week with his family and what it all means to them to see his face. And we had Alex Cuthbert on here earlier saying he's got some power. So it looked ugly, but let's hope it's not too bad and we can see him back before the World Cup ends. But unfortunately, that gets the ugly this week. Thanks, Goody. And before we go, this week's Beyond Expected story comes from the guys at the NAGS charity, Barbarians where over 900 present and former players, fans and family members all follow one man, Neil Evans, through his challenges. The challenges include pulling a boat from Wales to the Midlands, walking up and down Snowdon eight times, and biannual Barbarian rugby matches played at a different club each time, all in aid of cancer research. They've raised a ton of money over the years and do some amazing work. So check them out and have an Asahi or two on us, guys. Fair play. Thanks, Curdy. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Producer Rob, and thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure that you've subscribed on Spotify. Rupee Spot. Spotify, pod, 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 pod. (laughs) 